Welcome to the latest edition of Let's Do It Live. I'm your host, the People's Commission. I'm joined by Mikey the Mush for a Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3 recap episode. Michael, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, just about uh, like every other, the went, every one of the other main characters, I am still alive after that episode. Uh, I'm probably kind of happy that I'm here and I'm alive. I'm not sure uh, I can say the same about all of them. Not enough, yeah. uh, not enough damage to the main characters. I, I definitely agree. I, it was set up that there was going to be some more significant deaths. Not that there weren't big deaths, but I was just under the impression that there would be more high-level main characters um, meeting their demise in the Battle of Winterfell against the Night King. So before we get into that, that let's just give the episode an initial score, 1 to 10, Michael, what's your score? Uh, after first watching it, I said 7.7. 7. Um, I've watched it once or twice back. I'll, I'll hold it to that. Maybe uh, I'll settle in at uh, our verse 27 and go 7.2. What about you? So I, too, have watched it back in its entirety, as well as some of my favorite moments. Um, initially, I was in the 8 range. I think I was just... Very excited about what transpired, um, the amount of action that was in the episode, but I have dialed it back a bit because there are a lot of unanswered questions and um, gaps that need to be filled in. So I'm going to go 7.6 for my rating, which given how we uh, were very disappointed in the first two episodes, I will say they did an incredible job of bringing us back with this episode three, which is the longest episode of season eight, clocking in at one hour and 22 minutes. I don't know if you saw the ratings. I don't put uh, too much faith into them, but this is the second worst rated episode of all 70. Only the one that's only rated worse on Rotten Tomatoes is uh, when Sansa gets raped. So apparently this was borderline rape but i don't think so i kind of think it was a little bit of overreaction uh much about uh i guess the over it's gotten to the point where uh, we kind of talked about this earlier but like there's so many like fan theories and the show has just messed with people's minds for so long that there's a show like they want to see there's a there's also another show that all right they can see it from like all the theories and stuff they read and then there's like the actual show. So I think that had probably has something to do with um, the poor ratings. I agree with that. I don't think it deserves to be the second worst episode in the history of the series. Um, I don't think it's top five by any means. But in terms of action, it was really well done. Um, from a cinematography standpoint, I would have liked it to be a little bit brighter. I know the director got a, a hard time um, for how dark the fighting scenes were and how difficult it was to see on our screens. And he was quoted as saying like a lot of people watching on small iPads, which is not ideal for the viewing um, experience, whatever, just covering you his own pours. ass on that one. You pours, I believe uh, was the summary of yeah. that article. Yes. Agree. Overreaction. Um, just because people really wanted to see, um, a little more closure, especially when it comes to the Night King. But before we get to that, 
What was your biggest surprise in this episode? I know you said you've watched it back a few times. Was Is it the same as the first time you watched it through, or has it changed as you've gone back and kind of, um, I guess, downloaded what really happened? No, I'm going to uh, avoid the obvious one. And actually, the second time I watched it, it kind of uh, – reaffirms that it was the most shocking thing to me, especially when you figure out what the uh, theme of the plot line is. But I would definitely say when uh, the red woman just shows up out of nowhere, rides in, says whatever her voodoo magic, and you just see like all the Darth Raki um, sickles light on fire. And up until that point, you've only known him as like the best fighters in the world. So once you see that, you're like, all right, it's going down. It gives you like a little bit of hope that even though the army's so big that they do have a chance. That was a pretty cool moment. Um, I did not expect her to come back for this episode. I know we last saw her, um, was it last season or the season before when she was talking to Viries about that they're both going to die in this land, which is foreign to them. And so I was always under the impression the next time we would see her would be the last time we would see her. Now that weird scene where she took off the amulet and was that old naked lady that makes a lot more sense um, and it fits the plot line a lot better. But in turn, back to the question at hand, the biggest well, surprise. Are you talking about this episode or before? No, I'm saying that because when she brought before, yeah, when she, yeah, say when when she, she took brought, it off. Yeah, when she right after she had yeah. brought, tried to bring Jon Snow back to life. Correct. Okay. That seemed a little weird. Like, it, it, I guess it gave us a little more backstory as to who she was. But when she kept saying she's going to die by dawn of that day, it made more sense having that backstory, that context saying, OK, she's going to use up all her power, take the amulet off. And like she's infinity years old so that it just gave it more context for me. The biggest surprise, again, I'm going to stay away from the obvious. Um the hound being a bit of a wuss, that was a surprise to me. Him just kind of hanging out in the corner, barracks begging for him to help. They need Clegane. They need his help. And he's just sitting there like, we're all dead anyways. What the fuck? That, w- that, that was my biggest surprise. In my notes, it says the hound. And then right under it, it says him being a coward it was the most obvious thing and the thing you could expect the most only because obviously he's terrified by fire or scarred literally and figuratively by fire. And if you remember to the battle of the Blackwater, it was the same exact scenario where at that point before um, Tyrion let him out the back gate or whatever it was um, like when he realized that the Baratheon army was just about, about to basically take King's landing he was like, all right, yeah, I'm done. I'm not fighting anymore. So th- to me, that actually wasn't a surprise. But what that does do now, especially with the, for the Clegane Bowl. Yeah, I was gonna, exactly what I was going to say is, I mean, it almost sets up perfectly for a situation where he has to redeem himself. Mm-hmm. And what better way that, you know, he volunteers for uh, Arya or one of the one of the one of the other Starks or um, Daenerys, and then obviously the mountain would have to step in for uh, Cersei. If that was to happen, I wouldn't see that happening into 
uh, episode five. I do like that we're getting back to uh, more of the old thrones with uh, the more politicking instead of, you know, fighting people that can't speak. Right. I meant this was a big surprise to me in the sense of I thought his redemption cycle was coming towards the end. I thought that we had seen like big character development from him in the last season or two. You know, he joins the um, brotherhood, the bannerless brotherhood. Is that what it's called with Barrick? Brotherhood without banners. Mm. I just paraphrased it. You know, he's fighting with Jon Snow north of the wall. He he seems to, you know, be a character that we really revere that has developed into a good guy, a protector, and then he just reverts back. That's that's why I meant it was a big surprise to me. Not that he wasn't that person all along. I just thought he had left it behind. All right. Move on to our next topic. Who should have died? And this has been something that maybe rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. We thought, given episode two, there were a lot of reunions. There was a lot of dialogue, personable moments, funny moments of people just preparing for the battle against the dead. And we thought that this was, I guess, the creator's way of saying goodbye to these characters. So I went in thinking we were going to say goodbye forever to a lot of fan favorites, which actually turned out not to be the case. Who do you think should have died in this episode? Well, the most obvious one would probably be Samwell because he got his life saved like four different times just out of nowhere. So I'm uh he is no longer my one true king. I am out on him. Uh, other than that, I don't think, I mean, they're obviously, like you said, this could have been the one big send off. Like if any time that there needed to be a Thanos call and half of them would go, it would be now because I think you still have 13 or 14 of the main characters left. And that's a, l- a lot of politicking and voices to be heard. And that's why this episode would have been so perfect is because you had all of them and, um, in one location, albeit in six, five or six different spots, but you would have had everyone together and you could have kind of all seen it. Um, could have all seen it ended for the most part um, in, in that one uh, wonderful location. But now, I mean, are they going to have 14 people travel together? And obviously at this point, you got to think more than, you know, before I would have told you ah, out of all of them, two or three, are going to come out okay. I mean, now it's got to be much more, right? Yeah. I I think we were under the impression it was going to be like the beginning of Game of Thrones. I mean, in episode eight, we lose the main character to a beheading. And that's the first taste of, oh my God, we can't grow too attached to these characters because they're all going to die. Um, So that was kind of, the impression I had going into this, I think there are too many characters. There's going to be too many cooks in the kitchen. Sorry. um, So to speak, because they're going to get down to King's landing to fight Cersei, the golden company and the ironborn via um, Euron Greyjoy. And everyone's going to have their opinion, but who is going to lead the tactics and all that. I agree. 
it would have been a nice send off. Um, the person that I thought was going to go was Tormund or Tormund, however you pronounce it. He, he's been a nice comic relief in a lot of the episodes. He's grown to be a fan favorite. I just don't see his purpose really anymore other than trying to bang Brienne of Tarth. He's a good fighter. Don't get me wrong, but. I'm not seeing a whole lot more from him. Agreed. I mean, I just, there's, there's some plot lines that I thought had just run its course. Uh, we're still in the air. If gray worm died, right? No, he's alive. Oh, he's alive. So that means gray worm lived. Brianne lived pod, Jamie Tormund. Obviously, John, Daenerys, Ser Davos, Arya, Bran, Sansa, Tyrion, and Varys. They're all alive, which is incredible um, given some of the scenes that transpired with the dead climbing the wall and yeah, I the series as an dead. ice dragon taking down the wall. I mean, it, it was remarkable. I don't, I, the saddest po- possible way that episode could have ended at the end is if uh if the dead dragon would have um killed Jorah like that would have been a straight womb to tomb moment I mean it would have been a really bad look like we've only known him as a part of the show and I guess at a part of uh Daenerys's life since the very beginning beginning like he helped her birth those dragons in the fire and then if it all would have came to him like having the biggest crush on her and like and so, being taken out by one of her but, dragons. Yeah, yes. but not even one of the real ones, like by a dead one. So he's just getting smoked twice. Would not uh it would have been a bad look for him. But he he did have his hero send off. Yeah. Jorah did. And, and if him if anyone was gonna get him, I guess he sh- he deserved one. I mean, out of the people that died. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you can make any I don't other- think Leanna Stark, de- or Leanna Stark, Leanna Mormont really deserved that send-off, but she was a pretty cool character, you know, a little badass girl, so. Well, the I director rest- pretty much said it. They were like. I did, I did watch could, that yeah, segment you could after. only give You could only give away so many big deaths, and we realized that she was only supposed to be a one-line, uh, one-line character in the show, and then we heard her say that line. And we wanted her to come back. Like, if that's your selling point on why she had to have such a big death, you know, great. But I would sell more to the point that that was like a David, uh, David against Goliath moment. Cause the whole episode was kind of about hope. Like, in the beginning, the red woman comes out, you know, lights the sickles on fire. You're like, all right, they got a chance. Dorthrak, like the Dorthraki best fighters, they go out and within seconds, they just get smoked. And you're like, okay, well, this is probably done. Uh, the red woman comes back out again, lights all, you know, the blockades on fire. You're like, okay, you know, momentum's turned. And then sure enough, the Night King, you know, summons all the people to lay down on top of it. And then so that's, I mean, they were just dominating. And then like that was her part kind of came in was like, all right, well, if this little girl can, you know, kill a giant, anything can happen. And then it goes to you know, Jon Snow having a clean shot at the Night King. And as soon as you think, all right, you know, this is Jon Snow's moment to be the hero that he's always been. The Night King, uh, the Night King raises up all the the newly dead and everyone that just fought 
you know, against all the uh, human beings in Winterfell are now fighting against them. And I think that's just common with, I mean, you'll see it. I mean, uh, Endgame did something similar where any type of like battles now, you just see it as a roller coaster from the fans having hope to straight deflation, you know, back up to a top, the top again and just back and forth. I will give the creators and the director credit for that in that regard. Um, I think you did a good job of summarizing it. It was a roller coaster of hope to utter despair multiple times throughout the episode, which was very interesting because I know you watched the segment after as well. And they brought up a very, the creators brought up a very good point is action gets monotonous and loses its meaning after a while. So how do you have the longest battle in cinematic history and keep everyone engaged, keep the audience engaged and you kill people, you kill people, but also you have the ebb and flow in terms of, Oh my God, there's hope. Oh my God, we're back to despair. And they did a good job of that. I will give them credit where credit's due. Yeah. I'm just saying, I mean, 45 minutes of watching the wits die gets, you know, kind of, Mundane I would have liked a minutes. little more you White throw, Walker you battle. Throw a, yeah, yeah, you throw a main character in there. Um, when we don't even need to talk about how bad the dragons were used. That was the worst military operation I've seen probably since the Bay of Pigs. Like that was terrible. <laughs> well, okay, let's let's touch on that briefly, and then we'll move on to our next topic. But in, I mean, the after segment, the Dothraki go out with their lit swords and they are absolutely crushed within 30 seconds of the battle starting. And Daenerys, like Daenerys is loyal to the Dothraki and the Unsullied. Those are, those are her people that creates her army. That's why her army is so strong. And to see that happen, they just, she just immediately goes, okay, well I got to go help now. And John tried to talk her out of it because they're waiting for the night King and they say two dragons are better than one. So that's how they were going to fight it. And she just goes to help against the dead right away. So that's what they were trying to show. Like we had hope it went to shit and you had to think on your feet and modify the plan from there, which was a bad decision, but obviously worked out in the end. Yeah. In she's no, regard. she's no Winston Churchill. I'll, no. I'll just say that. Uh, this I would say this episode was definitely very unthrones like where um, I've kind of said it the whole time I've watched the show is you don't really need to watch it. You just have to listen because the dialogue is really what makes uh, everything other than like one or two things I can think of off the top of my head. You know, the, there hasn't been any visual cues that have been more important. I mean, maybe the R finish it for me. R plus L equals J. That's like the only really visual hint I can remember, but from the dialogue, it's where you would pick everything up. Uh, this episode barely had any dialogue in it. I think you had to get like 13 minutes into it uh, to hear your first word, it, words. And if, uh, of course, it was a red woman. But, you know, anytime anyone talked, it was very big in this episode. And I'd say that would lead right into uh, the unseen heroes is what I wrote as like the theme of the episode. Obviously, the red woman and Arya are... Um, you know, two people, albeit different time spans that we didn't uh, hear from, but both played major parts in it. Like you said, I think it had been a full season 
uh, since the Red Woman said uh, she had to go back to Volantis. She had more work to do before she died. And then obviously she shows up out of nowhere. Um, and then, you know, the most important unseen hero is you last see her and the, uh, the Red Woman and the Hound uh, talking to Arya. And that's kind of the uh, cue that Arya is going to go and kill the Night King. But so much happens in between uh, when that's said and uh, when she actually does it. I think probably about a half hour, 35 minutes goes by that you almost forget that she's in the episode. Mm-hmm. That moment when, um, so everyone's obviously seen the episode and Arya is an absolute hero. And that was an incredible moment at the end of it. And we did not want to use that as our biggest surprise. Cause that one is too obvious, but this leads into another topic, which is, is Arya the prince who, that was promised? And before we get into that, I want to say the moment when the red woman, the hound, and Arya are in that room, the dead are coming after them, They've Beric just dies, and the red woman and Arya have the interaction where they know each other, and the red ro- woman reminds her, of what she said last time about closing eyes forever. And she said, brown eyes, green eyes, and blue eyes. And it just like triggers this moment that ended up being incredible. But before we get to that, is Arya in your mind the prince that was promised, Mikey? I don't know what that whole thing means, so I'm going to go with no. (laughs) Okay, so essentially what the prince that was promised, this is... Um, Azor Ahai was a hero way back. And the theory is, as he was the savior way back when, there's going to be a reincarnation of him. And if you'll remember back, I believe it was season six, when the red woman was in front of Daenerys and John. She said it's the prince or princess that was promised just based on how high Valerian is translated. So that does open it up for could it be a man or a woman? We don't know who it really is, but we got some indicators like when Beric dies, the red woman or the what's her name? Melisandra says the Lord of Light brought him back for a purpose and now that purpose has been served which was protecting Arya from the dead and making sure she was okay so I agree I don't think we have enough information to see if she truly is the prince that was promised the reincarnation of Azar Ahai but she can be the hero for now and I'll give her that absolutely well, the Red Woman was 0 for 1 before, right? No, she was when 0 she, for 2. Well, she said she, it was going to be Stannis first, right? Yep. And, and then, then she said... God, who was the second one? There was someone else. So initially she was with Stannis. And then she said it was going to be Gendry Baratheon. Oh, the second time she was wrong. She said it was going to be Stannis, and then she sacrificed Stannis' daughter 
to ensure that they won um, a battle. And that was the battle against the Boltons. Yeah, and that was her old, his, her old issue with Davos. Yes. Um, so she's been wrong twice. I will say uh, another thing that they did well is um, they tied back at least uh, Arya's storyline. They tied it back really well because once you see her fighting, you know, it reminds you of uh, Serial Pharrell. And then uh, and then obviously the interaction between her and uh, Melisandre, you know, that uh, the quote between them two gets brought up again. And it would kind of remind me, too, of when they come for Ned Stark uh, in King's Landing, the way she kind of like dipped around through the castle to uh, stay away from the King's guard, kind of reminding me what she did uh, when they were in the library all looking for. Mm-hmm. And then obviously um, the move that she pulled to finally kill the Night King, she had done that in one of the beginning episodes when she was sparring with uh, Brianna Tarth. Mm-hmm. And then we know that, you know, the dagger was given dagger that she used was given to her by brand. So, you know, if, if that was another thing, I think they did a really good job of like closure on and tying it all in. Cause she kind of got all her whole story arc or story arc encompassed. No, I agree. And then just to add to that, when the red woman said, what do we say to the God of death? And Arya says, not today. That's another nice symmetry to in season one when she's training um, in King's Landing. So there were a lot of nice throwbacks, not a light, uh, you know, recalling past moments, tying some things together. You know, obviously that that dagger was used to try to kill Bran in season one. And it was passed around and then fell in Littlefinger's hands. And he was the one who gave it to Bran last season. No, last season or two seasons ago. Regardless, he gave, Littlefinger gives it to Bran. And Bran then gives it to Arya in front of the Wirewood tree, which is the spot that the slaying of the Night King happened. So there's, it's all tied together, which is pretty cool. Which leads us to our next topic, which is what the hell was Jon Snow thinking when he ran out unarmed against the ice dragon? So I was deep in the interwebs today reading some theories and ended up going back and rewatching the episode with subtitles just to see if there was any truth to it. So the the theory is that Jon while he was trying to run through Winterfell to get to Bran, who was at the Wirewood tree waiting for the Night King, runs into Arya and they realize they can't both get by the ice dragon. So John and his humble self was willing to sacrifice his life for the good of humankind. So he was going to distract the ice dragon so then Arya could run to the Wirewood tree and ultimately take down the Night King. So again, I went back and watched it with subtitles and it just said yells. But in watching the scene a few times, I can understand that a lot of people would interpret what he's yelling as go, go. So I think there is some truth to that. To that hopefully we learn a bit more about that interaction inside Winterfell and it wasn't just him giving up and 
willing to die because he didn't want to be brought back in the first place. Yeah, I think he just gave up. After like what they had went through, I don't know, I think he just kind of sets in that yeah, we like we don't really have a chance. Thing is like he so you could make the argument that the fire wouldn't burn him, right? But if he knew that, he wouldn't have like been hiding around the walls because he'd right. just been like, "All right, I'll get I'm just going to get, you know, fire blown on me, it won't matter." And if he didn't know that, um he wouldn't have like tried to do that as an distraction. That was him just throwing in the proverbial towel. Right. Cause initially I thought watching that scene, you know, we had watched two episodes of him both realizing he's Aegon Targaryen and then telling Daenerys that he is Aegon Targaryen. So maybe there was a discussion not seen in either of the episodes saying, okay, well, if you're truly a dragon, then dragons can't burn you. Or he kind of understood that since he had a connection to uh, Drogon, that maybe he was impervious to the ice dragon as well. I, Thinking back, that's kind of dumb. I don't know how he would understand that. But it is what it is. We'll, hopefully we'll learn a bit more. And he wasn't just throwing in the towel thinking that the end was impending. And he was willing to just die for nothing. So we'll see. Speaking of Targaryens, this brings us to a theory that is a personal favorite of Mikey the Mush. So I'll just pass the mic to him to let him introduce his theory and his rationale behind it. So last week you guys brought up the uh, idea of the possible fan fan theory that Tyrion could be a Targaryen uh yes. based on uh what his dad yeah it'd be his dad and um Mrs. Lannister Esquire um had an affair or something and then no, you said- no. let me let me clarify. So okay. the theory is that Mrs. Lannister had an affair with a Targaryen. Me after Jamie and Cersei are born. So that's always why Tywin did not refer to Tyrion as his son and hated him. Additionally, it has been said that Targaryen babies are known for killing their mothers because they come out like so uh, fierce and abruptly that it could coincide with Tyrion because he also murdered his mother in childbirth and another item that the Lannister family holds against him. So that's the backstory. Okay. So when you guys said that last week, my response was that that's not true. And I blamed the medical community of uh, Westeros and all the bad OBGYNs that weren't doing their jobs. Uh, I'd like to apologize to them. uh, Thank them for their service. Uh, because this was not the reason that so many mothers were dying. And it actually is the reason that because they were Targaryen children. And can we might have to put either a picture of this or the video I sent you from the episode. It's like around the 35 minute mark, right when uh, Tyrion and uh, Masande and Sansa are talking and 
pretty much was like if the dragon uh if the dragon lady wouldn't have shown up like this would have never happened blah 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 and that's when uh Masande adds like adds in the nice like little quip uh yeah and without her you wouldn't be here either saying that like without her she'd be dead but the biggest thing is it pans and it gives it's a side profile of Tyrion and I know that you said oh it's because the crypt is closed he inhales and then when he exhales he has like two streams of steam come out of his nose and it looks exactly like a dragon and I don't care what the fan theories were before or what they are after but he's a bona fide Targaryen I will donate five dollars to charity for every comment on this podcast, uh, Instagram com- or Instagram post, every comment that says I'm wrong and I end up being wrong, I'll donate five dollars to charity per comment because I'm not going to be wrong. That is a a big uh, change of stance on this theory in one week. So glad to have you on board with Tyrion being a Targaryen, and I appreciate your service and your ability to uh, admit that you were initially wrong and apologize to the OBGYN community in the seven kingdoms. They appreciate. Uh, yeah, shout out to all the options out there. Um, <laughs> so that one, I am completely serious about the other one. Uh, I just thought it was kind of funny because everyone complained that they didn't really get the backstory of the night King. Well, if you put it into his perspective, um, he's pretty much Drake. Because they're both from the Great White North. Uh, They both like to put things out like a light. And lastly, both of them are fans of teams uh, that or both of them are fans of teams that lost to home teams in Southern Sudden Death series ending battles on ice last week. So Drake and the Maple Leafs, you know, against the Bruins. And now you got the Night King against everyone in Winterfell. They're both wearing black. They're both at home. I'm just saying it's a coincidence. Did you see the meme on Instagram of Drake wearing instead of a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey, it's the Night King's face? I did the jersey. That, con- that confirms yeah. my theory even more. It, it, yeah, I was just saying it plays into that. So obviously there was a lot of disappointment in not learning the the backstory or motivation of the Night King. I guess backstory is not the proper term. We know how he was created. He was created by the children of the forest in an attempt to protect the children of the forest from the humans. Obviously, it went terribly wrong. But I thought there was going to be a moment where we understand that the connection between Bran and him. Obviously, the children of the forest are no more. They died in the Hodar episode um, when they came when the white walkers and the night King came to the wirewood tree that they, that brand was becoming the three eyed Raven in burnt it, blah, blah, blah. So that is something I'm wrong, but doesn't he, he wants to kill brand because brand is the last person on earth that has like memory and knowledge. And if he kills him, uh, then that basically that can extend to anyone else that's currently living. Correct. True. There, there is that aspect I mean, isn't, to it. Isn't that I know the main gist of it? And because he can't really, he can't really take out all humanity while Bran's still living. So as long as he takes him out, it's now it's only a mat like that. His 
like him as a the three eye raven can't be passed on to anyone else. So it's just yeah. a matter of time till like civilization gets Forget. taken over. And yeah, and then there's yeah. just complete destruction. True. And that is what I believe Samwell said in episode two um, about what the Night King wants. He wants um, the long night, which, you know, death is forgetting. It's not remembering. And if no one can remember, did we even live? It was kind of like that synopsis. So I guess from from that standpoint, you are correct. If he takes out the Three-Eyed Raven, we lose a lot of memories, a lot of history that can't be passed down for someone to keep in the future. And then he is able to get rid of the rest of humanity and I guess go about his jolly way. This is kind of what I was talking though with my point earlier about how, you know, there's a plot line you want to see, you know, the a fan theory one and then the actual one. Mm-hmm. I think this one, if you just kind of take it at face value of like what you learned from uh what you learned like initially a couple seasons ago, how um, you know, how the Night King came to be, and then the refresher, you know, like you said last week that Samuel gave. If you would just take that at face value, I mean that's a story in enough of itself. I think this is just another example of the overinvestment in a TV show that a lot of people had made. So at this point, like they don't want it to be a plus B equals C. They want to make it a lot harder than it is. But I mean, you do kind of have a story now. Is it well, I mean, there's a lot more character uh, development for much smaller things, let alone the first scene you see of uh, the whole series. But I think that's also has something to do with being, uh, kind of handicapped and only having um, so many episodes left that like this episode by itself was already what 82 minutes that that deserves another I mean the backstory of the Night King could be 10 20 minutes long so mm-hmm. at some point you got to like pick your battles and I think they might have just decided that you know we've done this uh, sufficiently enough we think now does everyone else think that no but yeah, I mean, it's I mean, not really our all, opinion that matters. Yeah, we're all critics and armchair quarterbacks here. So, yes, you are correct in the sense of you know you couldn't you couldn't dedicate any more time to the Night King when the true essence of the series is the Iron Throne. It's the Game of Thrones. It's the battle between the seven kingdoms, and we need closure. Not closure, but we need that to be the driving force, the driving plot line. So even though all my questions weren't answered, I am happy that it wasn't drawn out too long, that it wouldn't, there wouldn't be adequate time to really go to the great, you know, the great war between Cersei, her army, Daenerys and Starks. Like that, that is what this has always been about. It's, Cersei versus the Starks. I'm excited. I have no idea what to expect anymore. I hate being the armchair quarterback and complaining about a television show that actually provides an incredible amount of entertainment to me. Um, 
this is probably why we have a very mediocre podcast and they are running a multi-billion dollar franchise at HBO. So (laughs) take that with a grain of salt. Mush, is there anything that you absolutely want to see in episode four? Um, yes, to that everyone finds out that Tyrion's a Targaryen. So I okay. so owe money to charity, but I'll still donate if I'm right. Because that's, I mean, I wouldn't do that to the dogs. You're, you're selfless. So much. let's stop guessing. Let's just look forward to episode four. I have to imagine it's going to be um, very dialogue driven. Um, unlike episode three, like you said, like you touched on, there wasn't a lot of dialogue or anything to pick up, um, from the dialogue really, other than, you know, uh, the red woman and Arya, it was more action driven. I think it will get back more into the game of Thrones standard operating procedure where it's dialogue heavy. There are clues in the dialogue and we will get a lot of drama. So looking forward to it. No, I uh, I agree. I think you hit everything there. Um, definitely going to take uh, take the analytical glasses off this one and kind of be open minded because at this point, I think now there's more than one enemy or one opponent because God knows what's going to go on. So, mm-hmm. it'll be very I'm interesting. Ready, I'm ready for it. I'm excited. It is. And you know, it's always sad to say goodbye to. Um, a beloved series, I think a lot go way too long and end up losing that, um, that magistry that, you know, their magic powder that makes them special and engaging to audiences. I don't see that happening with game of Thrones. I think they are ending at a good time. It hasn't been too drawn out. There's still a lot of drama, still a lot of action, still a lot of hype. And I hope that they are able to live up to it because, you know, like I said, unfortunately, expectations from the audience get incredibly high. And when it when every box isn't checked off, you end up being the second worst rated episode behind in front of probably the ugliest episode, most uncomfortable I've ever been watching. Um an episode of game of thrones so yeah this is definitely one of the first episodes in a while that uh, a box didn't get checked if you know what i mean <laughs> well played well played well thank you for joining us for another episode of let's do it live this has been game of thrones season eight episode three recap unfortunately we did not have pvb here tonight he was playing the keyboard with his young son carson um Fatherhood comes first. We're a pro fatherhood, pro family podcast. So pro motherhood too. Pro motherhood. Yep. We we love all parents. They are all great. Don't cast me into that corner. I already got the dog people against me. <laughs> um we don't have any official sponsors, but maybe some unofficial ones. This was sponsored by Coors Light. The mountains were blue over here at the Stinson household. And also the amount of energy on my side was sponsored by the fact that I'm going to see Avengers Endgame in an hour here. So looking forward to that. Maybe me and Mikey the Mush will do a special podcast recapping our thoughts on the end to 
the Avengers series. So thank you again for joining us. We'll be back soon. Take care.